1: Hey everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Kellen's Petty Talk Show. This episode right here was an absolute honor. Matt Wilson, one of the dual vocalists and co-founders of Set Your Goals, one of the premier Northern California pop punk bands, but more importantly, the band that blended the pop punk and hardcore genres together and mastered the crossover to a T. Since the lull with Set Your Goals has been very prevalent the last bunch of years, Matt has still managed to stay incredibly busy. He even has a newer project called Near Dark. Near Dark. Yes, named after the criminally underrated vampire flick of the same name. And man, this band fucks. Please go check out their new EP, Make Our Way Back, and you will see why these guys rip. In our discussion, you'll hear many hilarious stories about touring with bands like Fireworks, Saves the Day, you know, the different recording experiences between their three full-length records, and that infamously revered Raspberry Cool incident. Be sure to follow Matt on Instagram at MattWilsonRules and send him pictures of bugs. Boy, does he love his bugs. As always, be sure to rate this podcast wherever you listen to it by slapping it with a five-star rating to ensure that this little shit show of mine doesn't disappear into the ass crack of oblivion. I really do love doing these interviews, and I'd like to keep this train choo-chooing along for as long as possible, so keep telling your friends, tell your family, tell your dog, and everyone else to check out the podcast, all right? And it really means a lot to me when anyone spreads the word or shares the episodes around. So just keep doing that and fuck yeah. Some cool episodes are in the works, so be sure to stay tuned for more ball busters hitting your earwaves soon. Sit back, relax, and whatever you do, do not let baloney get away.
0: Not sure if you're aware the other podcast.
1: she's doing? I need all ears on me as I
0: interview legends for thee. So grab your friends, your dog, and your fish. It's time to rip a new episode for the kids. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Kellen's Penny Talk Show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Callie's.
1: What's up, man? How you doing? Good, good. Nice to see you. This is very cool. Haven't done an in-person guest in a while.
2: <laughs> this is exciting.
1: Thanks for being here. <laughs> Have you checked out any cool movies lately?
2: Um, like, man, what did I see recently? I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I'm excited to see Cocaine Bear next week.
1: <laughs> I saw it the other day. It was pretty, pretty wild.
2: Sweet. Yeah. A lot, like a lot nice. of
1: impressive like gore effects that I wasn't expecting. Oh, yeah? like nice. A lot of practical stuff. Yeah, it's cool so how did you enjoy growing up in the uh the bay area
2: it was cool um there you know there's a lot of music history especially in the punk punk rock world Mm -hmm. there uh you know with like green day and rancid and right op ivy and you know there's like the the thrash metal thing with you know metallica and all those bands too so exodus yeah 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 exactly so there's a lot of cool music history there especially with the kind of stuff i grew up listening to Mm -hmm. and uh it was also cool because uh the punk shows and hardcore shows that I, you know, came up going to, there was a lot of mixed bills. So you'd see, you know, bands like Saves the Day with, like, hardcore bands and, right. you know, stuff like that. And that's that got me into, well, got me from punk into hardcore and then into yeah. emo and all these other things. So that was really, that was really cool.
1: Dude, those mixed bills kind of changed the game, I feel like. Yeah, you just, don't see yeah. it much anymore. I, I no. feel like
2: it's starting to come back now um, yeah. with, like, the, the kind of new scene of kids. But for a while there, it was just... That was what it was all about. It was a a, a thing of the past.
1: And I know you don't really follow sports, but did you play any growing up?
2: Uh, yeah. So (laughs) I, I played lacrosse in high school for a year. I wasn't like awesome or anything. I was, I was a MIDI. and, um, (laughs) I went to a boarding school junior year and, uh, they had mandatory sports. So I did wrestling and cross country. Nice. Yeah. I I was told to have a runner's build. So I I kind of took on, took up running after that for a while.
1: I did three years across country. That was, that was pretty fun, pretty wild. Yeah. It's like you do a whole day of school, and then your coach is like, oh, okay, now you're going to run eight miles. Yeah. Just you, for practice. You learn,
2: about, <laughs> about yeah. you, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about what your limits are and how to push past that. Yeah. It's you know? cool.
1: <laughs> it's kind of funny. My, uh, my coach is actually in prison right now.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Se-
1: <laughs> sexting with one of our, our teammates.
2: Oh, wow. Actually. I- we had wow we had a a similar situation at my high school the history teacher who was also the swim coach for for girls yeah was like aim chatting (laughs) this is this is a wild story actually (laughs) i'll probably go off on a lot of tangents i love this i love this uh mr honey this is really this is really fucked because his
1: name's mr honey
2: mr honey was his name he was he was like one of the young cool teachers and uh I think he was maybe 26. Um, and our friend, our friend in high school Kramer, uh, messaged him with one of his buddies on AIM one day because kids would chat him on there. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) they, they, they used one of like our classmates, like aim names. they, They were at a girl's house and used her, her name. Yeah. And they were chatting with him and started like flirting. And you know, back then it was called cybering. <laughs> and uh he reciprocated. Yeah. And it, it escalated to the point where this is like kind of the punchline. <laughs> it escalated to the point where he said, I wanna stick my hot meat into your hairy hole. <sighs> and then they fully told on him and got him cancelled. Wow. Well, I guess he was doing this with a lot of Yeah, like, yeah girls who were actually girls. Wow. So that, that was like he an was important, <laughs> important
1: sting operation. No pun intended.
2: Yeah. He was, he was being inappropriate with a lot of, a lot of girls on the swim team. So, uh, yeah. yeah, he got, he got fired and might've gone to jail. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's freaking crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so, so, <laughs> so where did you, you find your love for, for music? What's that? Where'd you find your love for music?
2: I, as long as I can remember, I've loved music, like yeah. above all. I mean, as a kid, I was into like bugs and music. I wanted Mm. to be Michael Jackson. I had, I had the, like these LA gear Moonwalker shoes and I would dance around my room. And, you know, at my house, we would, uh, we'd blast Van Halen and my dad would throw my brother and I like up on the couch and we'd be jumping around. Yeah. 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 It just is ever since I can remember my parents listened to really good music. Yeah. Uh, a lot of cool, like eighties, like new wave stuff. And my mom was into hip hop and uh, my dad was into classic rock. So yeah, we we got the full spectrum.
1: Did your family play any instruments themselves?
2: Uh, my dad had a guitar, but not really. I think he had a college band where he played bass, but mm-hmm. no, no one was uh really into music. My mom played piano.
1: Yeah, that's cool. So, how exactly did you find your punk and hardcore scene?
2: Um, I was always kind of intrigued by it. I guess it was kind of like a natural, organic evolution. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my my friend Brett, my best best friend in in middle school and high school. Uh, had an older brother who had gone to Gilman Mm -hmm. and seen Guar back when they used like ketchup and, uh, you know, seeing all these like old hardcore bands and stuff like that at Gilman. And we had just kind of heard stories about it. You know, we went to, we went to some festivals and stuff like that. And then we were like, Oh, we got to go to Gilman. That's where they, that's where they play punk. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then we finally went and my first Gilman show was new band night. So, (laughs) you wouldn't recognize any of the bands that played but yeah <clears throat> my second show was like a hardcore show and i think it was uh just a bunch of bay area local local hardcore bands like rely uh hoods uh a band called downshift that ended up becoming sworn vengeance just like a lot of bands that most of them aren't around anymore but uh you know if you were in the bay area and was a big deal yeah you, you knew who they were
1: that's sick why is the Bay Area such a great music scene? Like, it seems like everyone knows everyone and it's very connected with a lot of like, like-minded like individuals there.
2: Why is it so great?
1: Yeah, like, why is it so connected and like, I know? think
2: it's just because, you know, for a long time and I don't know, kind of, it goes in waves, but for a mm-hmm. long time it was really small. And so everyone kind of knew each other and mm-hmm. kind of worked together. There was a really cool sense of community there. So like you had... You know, these kind of like metalcore bands playing with like bands like, you know, Redemption 87. And then later on, you know, Eric's band became Nerve Agents and mm-hmm. like the AFI guys and yeah, the yeah. powerhouse guys and like all, the, all these uh, local hardcore bands that sounded nothing like each other and probably led very different lifestyles. Yeah. All kind of collaborated in a really cool way. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: I'm I'm really stoked. I'm actually going to see AFI next week for the uh Sing the Sorrow show. Oh, nice. It's gonna be sick. Yeah, yeah. it'll be fun. Got jar, jawbreaker opening. Awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> um so when it, when and how exactly did you come to the realization that you could sing and what was the push to get you to do vocals in a band?
2: Um, I was just kind of determined, you know. I wasn't yeah. like, oh wow, I have a gift for singing because I, I I don't think that I do. You know, I've always been very um what's the word self-deprecating about it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, t- I took some, uh, some lessons in the beginning so that I could kind of, at least I was like, <laughs> this is what I said to my, my vocal coach a month before I went into the studio for the first time. I said, Hey, I'm a beginner and I need to pass myself off as <laughs> uh, a mediocre enough singer, right. or you know, it, at least mid range enough to pull it off for recording. Um, what can you, what can you teach me? Yeah. You know, scales and stuff like that. And over time, it was just kind of like a, a practice that I eventually got better at. But yeah, I had no idea what I was doing.
1: That's <laughs> sick. Um,
2: Set Your Goals was my first band that I ever sang for. So
1: Yeah, and you're, you're able to sing pretty high. Like, Was that something that you worked towards or was that something you were just always good at?
2: I think I just had naturally had like a higher kind of register. Yeah, um, it's crazy. But yeah, it, it that took some practice too.
1: Some people wish that they could reach that, where you're able to reach, you know?
2: Yeah, I realized cool. that later. I was like, oh, not everyone can sing as high as I can. That's, no, it's, that's it's kinda... wild.
1: <laughs> um, so what was preset your goals like? Were you in any like other decent bands before that?
2: Uh, I went to a lot of shows, like I said, with, with my friends in high school. Um, mm-hmm. We would do like kind of punk and hardcore bands and put out demos, but it was like, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. We recorded yeah. them in our rooms and none of it is worth... Sharing, and you, I wouldn't even know how to find it anyway. It's like on you know little cassette tapes that I've probably long since lost.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so set your goals was shout
2: born. Out, shout out, Sean Euphoria, my uh, <laughs> my <laughs> hardcore industrial noise project that we recorded in my friend's bedroom. You know, that's sick. <laughs> yeah.
1: If you ever do find it, send it my way. I'll definitely check it out. (laughs) Just a bunch
2: of crappy noise. I love it.
1: (laughs) So Set Your Goals was born in 2004 with the simple task of incorporating pop punk music with breakdowns. And that was yours and Jordan's idea?
2: Yeah. um, Originally, that started with Jordan and myself in Mm -hmm. my garage. Yeah, And uh, we were just kind of fleshing out songs, Yeah, just kind of skeletons of songs. And then he was playing in a band called Time for Living at the time with Dan and Mike and um and this other guy israel who was in the first iteration of our band so yeah we kind of just poached half the band from time for living <laughs> yeah and we coexisted for a period of time until set your goal started really gaining traction yeah
1: and obviously you guys weren't the first to hop on that trend with like mixing the two but you know it's mm-hmm. pretty safe to say that you guys made one of the biggest impacts with that crossover
2: yeah we really just started with the the goal of just being the pop punk band that plays hardcore shows right locally yeah. and then it was like whoa someone wants us to tour. Yeah. Oh, someone wants to sign us. Yeah.
1: I I could still remember there was like a different feeling in the air when all those bands kind of started coming out. It was just mm-hmm. like a, such a different vibe for all the scenes. Yeah, it was an yeah. exciting
2: time. There was a lot of buzz in the scene.
1: Yeah, the exactly. So the band was named after the the Civ album Set Your Goals. Like whose idea was it to name it that?
2: Honestly, uh we get this question a lot, but it's the only name we could all agree on. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um so your area didn't really have a great pop punk scene at the time. So you guys just wanted to switch things up. But it took a bit to build up some steam before you blew up on the message boards, right?
2: Our first show was for, for a small hardcore show was pretty good. Our oh, second was yeah. show was like kind of insane. Yeah. It was like we were kind of popping right right at the jump. Okay. Like, uh, and I think that is because of the internet. It was like the perfect timing where if you got something, you know, the bar was low. There were yeah. not a lot of cool bands doing stuff at the time. Not a lot of bands out there. Like the scene wasn't super active. It was kind of a lull, yeah. Period. And um, <clears throat> honestly, that was around the time like MP3.com was mm-hmm. just getting going, and like file trading and you know Napster and all that stuff was really, yeah. really just cracking. So uh, yeah, that really helped us out a lot. And message boards, like you said, really. Helped,
1: yeah. And the message boards is what caught the the eyes of like many interested agents, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's
2: when we had you know agents flying to our shows and wow. managers and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah.
1: So you released your debut self titled EP in May of two thousand four through Straight On Records, who I saw also put out First to Leave's first first record, right? Yeah. Um, how did this label work to help you get you guys get out there?
2: So they had a lot of buzz at the time in the hardcore scene. Mm-hmm. Um, they had like Make Move and the Warriors and stuff like that um derek who started straight on went to my rival high school wow so i had known him for a while but we had never really hung out until uh we both went to the same college yeah. cal state long beach and we hung out like every day and went to shows and so it seemed like a natural choice you know all our friends bands were signing with them and then we we just kind of mm-hmm. talked to him and he put it out and it, before you knew it it was just like Everything was just snowballing. Yeah, it's like,
1: we're here. We finally made it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or we're on our way, at least. <laughs> yep. But you guys, you guys toured exclusively for two years on that EP, which came to be eventually known as Reset before signing to Eulogy. Did Eulogy seem like a good option at first?
2: It did. The Warriors really, those dudes really vouched for them. Okay. Um, they were super interested in us. Uh, I had been, uh, like I said, uh, I think before we started rolling, Mm-hmm. a huge metalcore kid yeah like uh morning again was like one of my favorite bands ever and john was in morning again so uh when he wanted to sign us to his label and the warriors were like yeah dude do it they're awesome mm-hmm. uh we just jumped on it um we had a lot of other options but they seemed like the most fair and then kind of just the most appealing yeah um it didn't really turn out that way in the end, but you know, at the time it seemed like a good idea. (laughs)
1: Yeah. But eventually your contract was up with them and you guys were able to repress mutiny. Yep.
2: Yeah. That was the, that was kind of the deal. Um, there was like a seven year period of, uh, rights for pressing the reset EP. Yeah. So that's why I did the, uh, the anniversary edition, Mm Mm-hmm. Once that expired
1: which was very cool by the way i got it sitting right over here got the gold variant <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um so in the in the early days of the band there were simply no phone directions and you guys had to print out all your routes to get to the shows who opened the window and let the map quest directions fly out of it
2: <laughs> probably jordan <laughs> uh mike would, would would print them out before every tour and it was like a bible yeah, it was, yeah. Like, it's a lot that's fine that's that's how the world was <laughs>
1: Um, so what was the process with recording Mutiny out in Seattle with Barrett Jones?
2: Uh, that was cool. It was it wasn't easy. You know, we were out mm-hmm. there for I think a month. Yeah. And uh it might have been two weeks. I don't my memory sucks. But it's okay. we were all really sick. Um, we got like the Black Death. Like Mike, I think was coughing up blood. Like we were like sick sick. Hell yeah. We stayed at Tim from trials uh apartment and probably just contaminated the whole thing, but that was really <laughs> nice of him. He was, ai uh, I don't know if he was on tour or what, but he was out of town. So we just stayed there and yeah. it just rained the whole time. It was miserable. That's kind of where the inspiration for the lyrics to the first track come from, yeah. uh, but you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, Barrett was super cool. Mm-hmm. We got to kind of pick his brain. And then that was, I think maybe the last or one of the last sessions he did at the laundry room before he moved uh, locations. Yeah. Cause this seafood Mexican restaurant chain, tacos Del Mar or whatever it's called yeah. took over the whole building and, oh, no. him out. and he was like, he got the news while what? we were in the studio with him and he was like crying and it was, it was kind of, kind of rough sucks. Yeah. It's kind of a mood killer, but,
1: <laughs> and you felt like the the process was like a bit rushed too. Was that because of that?
2: <laughs> it was no, not because of that. It's a hundred percent our fault. Uh, that's just kind of how we've always operated. We never yeah. go in prepared. Um, yeah. And, we were surprised at the reception of the record when it came out because we didn't think the quality was as polished as we wanted it to yeah. be, and uh, we also felt like it was rushed. Like writing wise, we wrote mm-hmm. like you know half of it in the studio. Yeah. But um when people received it so well, we were like, "Wow, the bar's low. You know, we can we can probably do better next time if we just right. prepare a little." And then I feel we did, you know. So this will be the death of us. We went in a lot more prepared, and it 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 shows yeah no for sure but actual like I don't know songwritings just kind of leveled up at that point
1: yeah no definitely but I think what you guys con- conjured up on mutiny was pretty great and it had that youthful energy that is so prevalent in pop punk and it, it just felt like a really fun time especially yeah
2: that's a hundred percent Jordan I mean uh, I have to hand it to him he's he's super into like rock operas and stuff like that so he wanted all the tracks to kind of flow into each other and I think it, it yeah. does have a good flow
1: no definitely guys uh visit Kirk Cobain's house while you were there
2: we did not oh. um yeah i don't even know where it is yeah <laughs> Never been, but that would fit the mood cool. perfectly
1: yeah <laughs> um so would you say mutiny definitely pushed more kids into doing the uh the two-step dancing
2: <laughs> <laughs> probably
1: <laughs> starting the new the new mashi dance numbers of the time <laughs> yeah um so signing to Epitaph was clearly the saving grace within the band and this will be the death of us is easily the strongest record of the discography, at least in my opinion. How That'd did that whole like <laughs> experience play out?
2: Uh which one? This will be the death of us? Yeah. Um so that one, we were like, holy shit, you know. We are we're gonna die as a band. We were right. we were stuck with eulogy. Things had soured horribly mm-hmm. between us and the label and John really. Not the label, everyone else was really cool, yeah, um Jordan and he just really butted heads, and um we were at a point where it was like he didn't even care, he would have just shelved the next record, like yeah. out of spite, it felt like yeah, <clears throat> and our our manager Keith was really um reaching out to all of his resources to see if we could find someone to buy us out of our contract, and John had said in an interview you know, he had learned a big lesson with letting newfound glory go Mm -hmm. for a low price. And he said, you know, next time that opportunity came up, he would, he would ask for a lot more. So he had this outrageous buyout price. I forget what it was, but it was like a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, we needed that to happen in order to survive as a band and to have this next record, get the chance it deserved. And, uh, luckily Brett, at epitaph was willing to do it and uh we had a really great meeting with him and uh you know we we signed with them and it was amazing um they they really pushed the record they really treated us fairly um to this day epitaphs or i mean yeah eulogy has never given us a dime in royalties epitaph was always really straight with us they cut checks on time they they were just really i don't know nurturing towards towards the artist which is the way i think a label should be run right um because they cared yeah and uh eulogy was run like a used car dealership so <laughs> it was kind of just like a sleazy operation you know john yeah. would do things like the victory did where you know he'd take out a full page ad and split it into four different ads for four different bands but charge each band uh you know for the full page yeah so that they he had to pay less in royalties uh, you know because he had more to bring yeah. in costs so, so things like that total crook total crook
1: yeah so what what did Mike Green bring to the table that uh when you recorded that one in LA?
2: So to rewind a little bit, when we went in with Barrett Jones, we were like, you know, this is cool, but we've already got the punk hardcore thing down. Right. We are trying to get into the, the the pop punk side of it. We're we're trying to get some some help there because that's not the world we're from. Yeah. And we wanted it to sound polished. Right. So when Mutiny came out, it sounded pretty rough and we were like, Oh man, that's a bummer. Um, you know, at least we thought, you know, everyone else seemed to be happy with it, but they Mm. didn't know quite what we were going for, I guess. And so I feel we really achieved that with Mike Green. He was that like missing component. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's just, uh, he's got a gift for songwriting. He's got a gift for producing. He just knows like how to fill in the blanks whenever you need it. And and he worked really well with us. We had great rapport. Um, he's my favorite producer I've ever worked with. And especially with vocals, it's such a like particular thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you really have to vibe with the producer to get great vocals. And uh, yeah, he just nailed it. Delivered. Yeah. yeah, he's the man.
1: So there were so many great guest spots across the board on that record, like Vinnie Caruana from movie life, Chad, Chad Gilbert from newfound glory, and even Haley Williams from Paramore. What was the story on getting her to spit bars on the few that remain?
2: So at the time she and Chad were dating, yeah. Um, Chad lived across the street from like green, which is funny. Cause I ended up moving when I moved to LA, like I moved to that block as well. <laughs> so I was just across the street from Chad uh, and Toby from H2O. And, you know, Toby's son, Max would come oh. over and knock on our window. and be like, "Oh, you want to go skateboarding? And, uh, but yeah, um, Chad would come over and hang out while we were recording. Cause we were there for a while. And um, yeah, he would, uh, Haley would be home from tour and they would just come over and hang at the studio. And I was like, you know, we were just chatting one day and we're like, hey, you guys want to do spots on the record? And it just kind of worked out. <laughs> That's just... sick. Yeah.
1: Toby's the man, by the way. He's he's super cool. Yeah. I see he's him got... hanging around at like the local show still.
2: He's got a really popular podcast.
1: Yeah. I think they just went on tour actually like today in like Europe. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Like Drain. Oh, nice. Um, So did the Paramore fan base embrace the song because of her involvement? And did it help you guys garner a lot of new fans from their club?
2: Yeah, but there was kind of a... <laughs> it was kind of a theme in our band yeah. of every big step forward was kind of like shadowed by a big dark cloud. <laughs> uh, it was like this unfortunate curse we had. We really felt like we had a curse. Um, so we had this, our manager, Keith, like I was mentioning, you know, got us signed with Epitaph, but uh, at the time it was a partnership. It was Keith and this guy, Chris and uh, Chris kind of, I know his intentions were good but he kind of went behind our backs mm. and uh the the prerequisite to having Haley sing on our record was that her management or label or someone had said hey we have a marketing plan for her you can't really push this as a song featuring Haley because she's got this airplane single coming out with, with bob <sighs> and we don't want it to conflict with marketing for that and so chris went behind our backs and sent it to k-rock and highlighted that track with her name wow and so they started playing it against our wishes against her wishes and it created all this drama because oh that sucks because then her management was like yo what the fuck are you guys doing right this isn't cool yeah and we're like dude we didn't do it and they're like "Bullshit." You know? yeah and, then, <laughs> and she, you know she tells chad and chad's like dude what the hell you guys and we're like dude what the hell chris like, right this is so we had so many mixed feelings because it's like i'm getting like. Upset thinking about it because it was really, it just sucked. It was like, yeah. we're fucking top five on K-Rock for like a month, month and a half. Yeah, They're playing our song every day. Yeah. And like, I forget the name of the, the top five there, but it's like the the hot five or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're playing it every fucking day. Kids are like listening to our songs everywhere.
1: Losing their minds.
2: Yeah. And it's all like totally not right. You yeah. know, it just it wasn't the done correct. And like, yeah. it was, uh, it just felt like tarnished you know was that so we fired chris over it wow and uh chris and keith split up as a management team and everyone had to pick sides all their artists you know all time low was managed by them too and they yeah everyone picked keith because it was like man chris you're just not honest you know yeah. and chris would do other things we took us to like extravagant dinners but then would just bill it to us it's like okay cool man we're like a broke man you know we're like in the studio eating three dollar burritos at the truck like yeah every day we can't like afford to eat but like he's taking us these baller ass dinners and then just billing us it's like (laughs) we can't afford this what the hell so wow just stuff like that it was like it really put a bad taste in our mouths as far as working with chris
1: what about with like Paramore's like group though they couldn't just ask you guys to, like wait a bit just to release it was that what the talk well, they was did gonna be? ask us to yeah that's we was... just didn't do it yeah, yeah. right
2: i mean uh, we didn't know but yeah it got sent to k-rock that's and, a bummer yeah it would have been nice if we did it the right way and everyone was happy yeah
1: is everything good with them now <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. that's cool uh, after, uh, after a while everyone everyone finally realized. believed us yeah like, it was like oh shit no you guys didn't do this okay uh yeah our bad you know but it was also like yeah damn Chris sucks <laughs> yeah that does suck <laughs> All right,
1: you feel a lot of pressure to take the sophomore release to the next level or were you guys comfortable with just rolling with it i mean obviously yeah
2: no we we really did feel a lot of pressure that was kind of like the peak time of our band it was like wow we're really gaining a lot of steam here we're getting insane offers you know reading and leads give Mm -hmm. it a name festival like twenty thousand people crowds you know it's just stupid stuff like we're, we're getting offers to tour the world like yeah it was like no this is it this thing has to this thing has to perform. <laughs> yeah.
1: Know? Being on like the Billboard Top 200, pretty crazy.
2: Yeah. But honestly, even above that, we wanted to make sure we were happy with it. Right. And we were. Like, I feel like for what we were capable of at the time, we really had to like each level up in our own musicianship and ability yeah. just to like get that record done the way we wanted it done. And I feel like it shows.
1: No, definitely. And did it ever feel like there were too many chefs in the kitchen with each songwriting Absolutely. process? Absolutely,
2: that's another theme of our <laughs> band. There's, we're all cooks in the kitchen. Right. Except for maybe Joe Joe was very easy. Like, you ever watch the Some Kind of Monster doc?
1: Yeah, yeah, Metallica. Metallica, yeah. You
2: know, Kirk's like the chill one. He's just like, yeah. dude, I just want to shred. Like, yeah. he just shows up and he's like, guys, stop fighting. Yeah. That's kind of Joe in our band. He's like the neutral one. He's like, guys, just relax. Yeah, you everybody
1: know? else is just crying and like walking away from it. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> our, our friend, our guitarist for a period of time dave called the band a cryocracy (laughs) he who cries the loudest gets his way no (laughs) way (laughs) it kind of was
1: that's funny didn't he leave was that the guy that left before mutiny yeah he
2: i think he left right around that time
1: okay um so the collaborations were pretty evenly displayed then yes okay that's cool so once you guys recorded burning at both ends in Nashville, was there some awareness that you would be like making the last record for the foreseeable future?
2: Um, no, well, man, it was like a, it was a process. Yeah. We actually recorded that in Baltimore, um, with Brian McTurnan, but that was a disaster of an experience. Um, just because we went into that totally unprepared. Yeah. Um, we had kind of not been honest with Brian about how much was written. Yeah, We had like the Jordan said he had a whole album in his head. He did not. <laughs> and like for the last, I was like, dude, I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing the go and sit and get yelled at in the studio thing. Yeah. Because not yelled at, but you know, just kind of like shamed. Yeah. <laughs> because we you. weren't prepared when I'm not the guy writing the music. So All right. I was like, I'm not, I'm just not going to go for the first week. Maybe the first two weeks. Yeah. Because we had all this budget now, we had all this recording time bought. We had nothing. We had no songs to record. Mm. So for the for the week leading up to the studio, I I went over to Jordan's house every day, and we would like track demos in his room, just like skeletons of songs, so that we had something to show them when we showed up. Yeah. And then he and Mike went out there, and I was like, "Dude, I'm not doing it. Like, don't don't look at me. You know, I'm I'm not the guy writing the music. I've always just worked on." lyrics and vocal melodies Mm -hmm. so um they that that happened they went out there and brian was pissed understandably and um from there it kind of just got worse um jordan was kind of like mentally checked out uh in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of stuff there that we had to deal with and um and brian was not pleased about it and it, it dragged on and we had to like basically he had to cancel his next session and we we used up all that too and then we he was like i can't push back anymore you guys gotta go finish it somewhere else so then we went to mike green and finished all the vocals there in la which Mm kind of worked out better yeah um brian is great i have nothing but good things to say about him it's in, in no way shape or form his fault yeah but uh you know we we were really going through a hard time as a band just to even stay together as a band right um and it shows in the record because. You know, the lack of preparation meant that we had to kind of rush things yet again. And, uh, <clears throat> and that was really tough. And we had to kind of, you know, since Jordan was kind of checked out in a lot of ways, the rest of us kind of had to Frankenstein the songs together. And uh, I think that shows, you know, because Jordan truly does have a gift for writing music. Mm-hmm. And uh, his, the lack of his presence in the songwriting, um, you know, it, it sounds notably different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the songs just sound different so yeah
1: what are your thoughts on like the overall album though one, once it came out do you like i'm it? proud of it i'm yeah. proud of the
2: struggle and and yeah. the the fact that we even finished it you mm-hmm. know it was like a lot of hard work for us um there's a lot of songs on that album that i really love right but also there was once again so many cooks in the kitchen and so much headbutting, yeah just within the band that like like some of the songs have just really weird lyrics yeah um and that that was kind of jordan just saying no i want these lyrics and refusing to budge yeah and then brian being like okay this song's just your song jordan just do whatever stupid shit you want <laughs> and i won't fight you on it but this other one we're doing in like a you know whatever formulaic yeah. kind of way and uh <laughs> so you know we've got some songs with you know jordan had a song about like turning into an alien and shooting into outer space and all kinds of weird stuff that like everyone else was like, what the hell? (laughs) Um, but you know, he, it was the cryocracy again. So, you know, there was a lot of, (laughs) a lot of that in the band and, and especially in that record. And it shows
1: was product of the eighties. One of his songs,
2: uh, product of the eighties. We felt like we wanted to do something a little poppier and different. Okay. Um, That was not, but I don't think the fans really liked it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's fun. (laughs) I honestly feel like with a lot of songs on that record, the demo versions were better. Really? Basically, the way we had it worked out was we would live in the studio and we would make demo versions of every song and then we would track them for real. So we had demo versions of everything and the product of the 80s one was like a little more fun. Right. And the finished one sounded like too, I think just like, too formulaic or too too much like a mainstream like radio like it sounded more like Avril Lavigne. I don't yeah. know how else to put it, <laughs> and I, I I wasn't into that. Right, but I, I feel like uh, <laughs> in the beginning it, it was kind of better. It just sounded cooler. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, who who
1: decided to have not as bad end on an extended fifteen minutes of silence and that that kitty silliness? Is...
2: Oh, so we've always like <laughs> we've always liked putting like fun stuff at the end of a record or secret tracks um that we just we had just been fucking around in the studio but we wanted it to just kind of like come out of nowhere basically the idea was like if you leave the record playing this just hits you out of nowhere and you're like surprised so that's why we made just a bunch of silence at the end of the song it's awesome
1: yeah it was sick a little burp at the end.
2: Yeah, like you're hanging out in your room and you're like, "Whoa, what the fuck is that?"
1: <laughs> That's literally how it really works.
2: Did it to troll people. <laughs> um,
1: I never realized that. Although the record was definitely well revered overall, there were some less favorable favorable reviews complaining that the tempo was being drawn back. I personally thought the record was fantastic and had like an energy of its own and actually stands out just like the other two.
2: Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah, there the tempo is noticeably slower throughout the record. So yeah, or m- more mid tempo. Um, I guess just cause we were older and wanted yeah. to do something different. Um, I really feel the record would have been, maybe this is insane, but I, I really feel the record would have been received better if the track order was different. Yeah. Um, it really does just contribute to the flow of the record as a listener. Yeah. And it was once again, a cryocracy issue. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't even get Jordan to budge. So. Yeah. Because he writes everything it's it was it was really hard to kind of get him to move on a lot of things yeah whereas you know a lot of people that i've worked with in music s- since then are like you know and a lot of producers are usually like yeah well, let's try it and if it works right. we keep it and if not it, you know no no big deal we just go back to the way it was yeah. jordan was not willing to do that um whereas you know i think most of the time when four other sets of years or five other sets of years or, or more hear it, you're gonna get the best product possible. Like yeah. everyone wins, you know? But if it's like one person kind of just being a Nazi, it's like, okay, well, I hope he's really good at what he's doing. Yeah, I hope because, you're right. Yeah. yeah, I hope you're right, <laughs> exactly.
1: Is there like a different way you would have started the record, like certain track placement? i like the um, first one?
2: I can't remember, but I remember like, I can't, I just remember putting all the songs in like an order that I felt flowed better. Yeah, yeah. And right now, the way it ended up it feels like it's just kind of all over the place. Yeah. It feels choppy.
1: No, for sure. There's definitely some bangers on that one, though. I, I like you. that the tempo's a little different. <laughs> I think every record's just a, like a totally different experience, honestly.
2: Yeah, and every song's cool. so different that I feel like if you can't find one song on that record you don't like as a Set Your Girls fan, I don't know. It's then you're like, not a fan. Then maybe you're not really listening to it. Right. Maybe you've already written it off. <laughs> exactly,
1: Yeah. So taking a step back for a while, were you, were you stoked to finally take a break? Or were you not thrilled about figuring out what was to come next
2: after? after at both your, ends? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did take, I guess, a little bit of a break. We were getting burnout on touring. Yeah, we had like we had a tour where like. Mike wasn't talking to Junior the whole tour, mm-hmm. and then like Mike wasn't talking to Jordan the whole tour. Um and so it's always like how are we gonna write new music when the, the songwriters that start the process aren't talking? Yeah, you know. And um, you know, Mike was drinking a lot, and we ended up kicking him out because of that. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it was a real wake up call for him. And um, you know, we, we never really got into the reasons behind why we were doing all these things. You know, it was kind of like to protect kind of the image of the band. Yeah, we. we kind of just kept it private and you know, some things aren't everyone's business. Exactly. Uh, but you know, we, we had a little break and then, um, and then, you know, when we did kind of revisit doing the band and, and writing music and all that stuff, uh, it was with the right uh, mindset and we were in the right headspace to do it. And we were all excited about it again because enough time had passed. Yeah and uh you know we were like well we want mike to be on drums you know he's part he's a core member of the band he started the band with us right and um you know it just felt right like when we when we came back it really clicked and uh yeah i think it was it was necessary and mm-hmm. you know to this day you know mike and i have had a lot of deep conversations about it since And he's like no man you guys needed to do that i totally understand and you know, i don't want to put words in his mouth but he was like yeah. you know that was necessary i was my drinking was a problem and uh he he got it under control after that it, yeah. it worked you know it was like oh wow so some people
1: uh, just need a wake-up call yeah.
2: yeah and now you know like
1: now he's in the story so far now
2: he's playing in the story Crazy. so far he's like killing it so, yeah yeah and he's doing several other bands and he's probably the most active he's definitely the most active in music out yeah. of all of us so definitely yeah
1: so how did you guys keep your sanity while endlessly touring for 10 months a year
2: we didn't <laughs> doesn't sound like it no we didn't uh we were completely insane
1: yeah i love that mm-hmm. um and you lived in new york for a bit
2: i did um so <clears throat> when we stopped when we when we kind of like went on hiatus or whatever you want to call it yeah um i was like craving stability i was like man i'm gonna get a real job Yeah, you know got a girlfriend because i didn't feel like i could really have one on tour because it just didn't seem like it would be fair to yeah either of us to have one and uh, i would watch my bandmates just argue with their girlfriends when they were on tour yeah you know go through several girlfriends sometimes and um yeah so I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to settle in a normal life. You know, it felt like maybe the grass is greener. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I did that. And, uh, I started working for, uh, I worked at a tech company called Stitch Fix, which is like a, an online stylist kind of thing. And, um, you know, started dating someone in San Francisco and then, uh, broke up with her and started working for Snoop Dogg for a little while. Yeah. And really, getting more music gigs, like tour managing and stuff like that. So I moved to LA to kind of get more work, and um, <clears throat> did that for three years. And got into options trading while I was down there. I was working for uh, for Sandbag, which uh, is Radiohead's merch company. Oh, cool! And I was commuting every day in like an hour of traffic, and it was brutal. You know, I was going from my place in, uh, you know, at Pico and Fairfax. Yeah. Right by, right by where Chad was and right by the studio, Mike green studio. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was commuting every day and I got into options trading and I met this retired trader and I started managing some accounts for friends and family. And I started making like absurd amounts of money. Like I I, I don't even know. (laughs) 1% of money, like 30 to 60 K a month. Wow. Yeah. And I, I just had never had money like that in my life. So, Jesus. I I had a realization where I was like, man, I'm just sitting here doing Excel spreadsheets, but then clicking over to my trading account at work. What the hell am I doing here? You know. Yeah. So once I made my, I was like, all right, let me see if this is consistent. So at first I made like my year's salary in like a month of trading, yeah. and then I made it in like two weeks, and I was like, all right, I'm I'm wasting time at this job. I could just put all my focus into trading and make way more. So. Bought everyone lunch and quit. like Yeah. That that was a cool team, but it was like, what am I doing here? So then I went hard on trading and um I got like an Audi A eight. Wow. I bought like seven hundred dollar gold sunglasses, went on all these trips, <laughs> just did a bunch of stupid shit.
1: Hundred pairs of sacks.
2: <laughs> yeah. And um it was just really reckless and, yeah. you know, financially, I should have been buying like a house and like, you know what I mean? <laughs> just buying things that retain value and investing and stuff like that yeah. and, other, and other things. But, uh, you know, I did that, but I was, I was what trading, the trading world would call cowboy trading. I, yeah. I wasn't protecting my, my, my risk. I wasn't doing proper risk management. So, uh, you know, I had these accounts that I had taken from like 200K to like a million dollars. And I was making buku bucks yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, a couple trades started going wrong. And this is like, I was doing like Wolf of wall street stuff at this point in terms of like my lifestyle. Right. I was on the beach in Madagascar. It's a dirt road. It's as third world country as it gets. And I'm paying $20 a minute at the only cafe that somehow has Wi Fi, wow. and I'm calling them, I'm calling my brokerage to try and get out of a trade so that I don't lose a million dollars in the trade, you know, before the market closes. Yeah. Cause with options, they expire at the, at the end of the day on Friday. Yeah. And it's Friday and I'm calling like that the phone keeps cutting out and you know, I'm just like stressing. It's It's just like
1: lunchtime, Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it it was to the point where it was like, Oh man, what am I doing here? You know, why, why do I have so much at risk? And then, you know, I lost a hundred grand on one trade and then I lost another, trade like that and i was like yeah. okay i need to scale it back you know and i lost my you know i was managing for friends and family so it was like really messy you know mm-hmm. like i was really pissing some of the people i love the most off like really badly mm-hmm. so i i was like i have to get this under control i pumped the brakes i uh i i realized i you know the guy who had mentored me i had outgrown him i was teaching him things i was doing these really complex uh option spreads and stuff and so I was like, I need to go to where the hub is. What's the highest concentration of knowledge in this world uh, for for finance? And it's it's in New York. So I went out there and I tried to find a firm to work for, and I I just did that until I until I found one, and then I moved out there. So I had, I spent three years in L.A. and then I went to New York for three years, and traded at a firm there, and kind of just really took the job as a free education i didn't care if i made money or not i wanted yeah. to learn proper risk management and i did and now you know i still trade as a hobby um that that office shut down when COVID hit and i was kind of like stuck so um you know I, I had kind of been looking for a, a catalyst to leave i had watched 90 percent of my whole trading floor get wiped out yeah at, the, at that firm and uh so it was kind of like time to leave anyway so you know i i didn't go back but i did continue to trade my personal account and um i kind of uh yeah just made a decision i had a, i had some friends back home kind of call me and say hey we're we're getting into the weed business you know yeah. that the cannabis market had just become humongous in northern california they're like hey we're gonna we're gonna do this business and we're gonna I'm going to buy a farm and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, screw it. I have nothing holding me here. So I moved back to the Bay. And that was at this point, I think three years ago. Wow. That was was the height of the pandemic.
1: Are you glad to be back?
2: I am. Um, I'm kind of, the Bay has changed. It's not, it's not what it was. Um, and, and during that time, I, uh, I also, you know, I think I was telling you before we started rolling, uh, During my time in New York, you know, after I had lost my job and kind of was stuck indoors during COVID, uh, the guy who ran my trade desk at my firm, this guy, Derek, was like, dude, you got to try microdosing, microdosing mushrooms. Yeah, And I'm like, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm straight edge, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a hallucinogen, you know, the stigma around mushrooms is very strong and I've experienced it with many people since, you know, they think they're going to hallucinate if they microdose or they're going to get high and they don't want to lose control. And um, he's like, dude, no, it's, it's milder than the coffee you're drinking right now. Uh, it's just like a little pick-me-up. You'll just be in a good mood and you'll just be, have laser focus. I'm like, damn, this sounds like the limitless pill. Yeah. And it kind of is. Right. Um, so after, you know, sitting indoors for six months, having gotten COVID and losing my job and just kind of at a low point in my life, I was like, fuck it, what do I have to lose? Right. So I, I popped a microdose and uh, I was like, huh, didn't do anything kind of anticlimactic you know. yeah like, yeah this, this doesn't work and then i was like you know i talked to him about it i was like i see what you mean you know it is milder than coffee what's the point of this yeah you know and then i did it two or three more times and uh i noticed uh, i think on the third time i was like oh my god it just clicked i was like every time i do this yeah. i'm in a good mood the whole day my memory works properly yeah it's like one of those days where you got a good night's sleep and you're just firing on all cylinders yeah yeah um
1: so there's no like effect of like feeling out of it like in terms of being high though like no you're not floating through the ceiling (laughs) it's the opposite
2: you know and it's funny because you know it's it's unfortunate that they are mushrooms because there's that stigma yeah yeah and at a macro dose you know it's the opposite effect right you're disoriented but i i consider and this is what kind of like was my gateway drug into hallucinogens. I consider mushrooms an immersion in reality, not an escape from it. Yeah. Cause that was kind of always my, my issue with drinking and drugs and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still feel that way. And so, you know, after though, after getting into microdosing and it pulling me out of this like depression I was in and I had this new like zest for life, you know, I like started gardening cause I was stuck in doors. Yeah. Like, Put this big planter box out on my on my patio and my uh, on my balcony in new york and i was like growing all these vegetables and like cooking and like just going running every day and just like actually excited to start my day every day Yeah, that's sick. you know i was like wow this really turned my life around i'm open to trying like a bigger dose and so me and a couple other friends who were also straight edge at the time we rented a cabin and we we all did mushrooms uh, Kyle from fireworks was there actually. Did he do it? <laughs> he came too. Yeah. Yeah. We all did. Oh, mushrooms wow. And uh, it was amazing. And Fuck yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just so wild. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> I kind of just got into it. Then from that point on, I was like, you know, it's, it's really turned my life around and given me like a new appreciation and sense of gratitude for everything. And uh, I, I believe in it. So now I, you know, I'm, I'm working in that field as like what started as a side hustle, but now it's kind of like. Turning into my day to day thing, I've you know mm-hmm. uh, begun cultivating and, and doing stuff in that field. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that's kind of that was kind of my journey. Three years in L.A. and three years in New York. That's wild. And then and then back to the Bay and, and really going hard with the the mushroom thing.
1: So if you like macrodose too much, though, is that bad for you?
2: No, uh, it's so the way I look at it is uh, mushrooms. When you macrodose, um, you're doing ten years of therapy in like five hours. Wow. And microdosing is kind of like you're doing the work, but it's going on in the background of your brain so that you can go through your work day and drive a car and just function like a normal person. Yeah. Um, but you're you're kind of still making those connections. It's repairing your neural pathways in your brain. You know, I think it would probably I'd imagine prevent brain aging. Yeah. Um and like maybe combat against you know, they've said it combats against like uh some of the symptoms of long COVID. And, uh, really? maybe Alzheimer's and stuff like that.
1: Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah.
2: Wow. And it's, it's also just a great mood booster. It's, yeah. It's not habit forming. There's no downside. If you do a macro dose, you kind of feel like drained a little, like, yeah. I think just cellular energy or whatever mm-hmm. takes a lot out of you, you know, cause it's all just going to your brain, your brain's like on overactive mode, Right. which does happen a little bit with microdosing. Uh, they, they say to take it in the morning because then that way by nightfall, you're able to sleep because otherwise if you take it at night, your manic thought is just going and you can't turn your brain off. Yeah. In bed. So there is that. But um yeah, I, I've yet to see any negative effects. The only thing yeah. is you can't just do like an eighth of mushrooms every day. Yeah. Your brain needs time to process. So with microdosing, I do one day on, two days off. Okay. Um, and that's just necessary. It's kind of like defrag for your brain. You know, you need time to like process all the all the rewiring.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I kind of, I want to try it eventually. I don't know. Like I told you before, like I've done edibles with like weed, and and I get like super sick. I like puke my brains out. But like you said, you don't really get sick from this. Yeah, Which is kind of wild.
2: That is nice. Yeah.
1: Um. So over five years ago now, you were talking about a possible new record to set your goals. What fell apart and like kept that from happening, pretty much.
2: Yeah. So the reason that was almost five years ago was because. Mike and Jordan had started jamming some stuff and they have, you know, the typical skeletons of songs for like an entire record done and then COVID hit and, uh, just sort of fell off and they just never picked it back up. So Mm -hmm. as we've kind of always done, we just leave the door open. Mm -hmm. Maybe something will happen. Maybe it won't. Um, depending on the day you'll get a different answer from Jordan about where he sees the future of the band being, if there is one. Yeah. Um, we got offered, uh, that when we were young festival for this year, okay, the the second one or whatever. Yeah. And, um, it was a really good offer (laughs) and Jordan just wouldn't do it. And, you know, everyone's next question when we tell them about that is like, well, why don't you just do it without him?" But it's like, you
0: can't, we're at an age
2: where it's like, it's going to be detrimental to like kind of the brand of the band. It's just not going to feel genuine. Yeah, no, definitely not. We just want to do it. The right way yeah so um, you know he's one of the front men and yeah uh, he did write all the music so uh, yeah it just wouldn't feel right without him yeah Um. so we, we all want to kind of just be on board and and excited about it if we if we do play any more shows or write any yeah. more music
1: yeah I'm not big on like people swapping singers it just doesn't work for me
2: it usually doesn't yeah, yeah. you're right it rarely does and much like AC DC yeah, yeah well, I, I just never liked them anyway yeah <laughs> <laughs> so. That's funny. Yeah, you got to do it really early on right. if you're gonna do it at all. You know, I, I feel mean. like it worked with Hit the Lights, but like, yeah, that's the only one record. You
1: know? Yeah, <laughs> I love that that Skip Skip School Starfights. Yeah, that's great record, a fucking great record. Yeah, um, yeah, when we were when we were young, though, I got screwed on that. I actually tried going to that, and I drove the whole way there, and ten minutes before I parked, I got the text saying that they canceled for high winds.
2: Oh yeah, I know people who flew in from Australia. I know it's like, damn. And dude. I can't
1: even be that mad because that's way worse. <laughs> thousands and thousands down the drain.
2: Yeah, no, it was a stacked lineup.
1: Yeah. Well, is he open to playing like shows, like even like one-offs, or just not right not now? Not at this time. Not at this time. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So, what are your thoughts on the pop punk bands of today?
2: Um, I've never, if I'm being totally honest, never been a huge pop punk fan. Yeah, like you listener. know, I liked kind of the when we started it was kind of just the novelty of it sounded fun it was like oh look yeah potential to like play real shows and do big things uh where you like tour and do fun stuff right. you know, all over the world i saw that as like a golden ticket to travel the globe and yeah. experience all that life has to offer so uh as far as bands that i listen to i mean i could probably list every pop punk band i like on one hand <laughs> um love that that being said like there are objectively bands that i think are just good yeah uh, like i really like knuckle puck right um but i don't listen to them yeah if that makes sense totally yeah uh, i just think they're great pop punk um i'm probably spacing on a ton of them but there's there's a lot that i've heard that i'm like wow this is really good yeah um what do you
1: think of like no pressure
2: yeah no pressure's great dude. they're sick right yeah yeah I mean, they- story so far is amazing Um. pressure is really they really remind me of of us when we were younger you know like they've got the whole like kind of like lifetime vibe the fast stuff and it's really cool yeah um yeah they're great i have yet to see them live but i would really like to and um yeah i don't know Would you call i am the avalanche pop punk like i I love them they're a great band but it's like adult yeah. pop punk or something i don't know it's not like quite pop punk but it's like got the tinge of it there like the early two
1: thousand stuff
2: yeah, yeah. it's just a little more mature yeah you like yeah. movie life love the movie life yeah i was gonna yeah. say I, I do that is one pop punk band i love yeah for sure yeah I grew up going to their shows you know jordan and i would that's like kind of how we when we first met we would go to movie life shows together you know, newfound glory shows yeah You'd go chat with Vinny and chad and That's how we've developed those friendships.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. We're trying to get Vinny next for the podcast, hopefully. Oh, that'd be great, dude. Yeah, Yeah. I'd love to I
2: love all those guys. They just played SF like a week ago, and yeah, it's great seeing them.
1: Yeah, the record just turned 20 the other day. Pretty cool. So you've played your sets twice in one show before, (laughs) way back in the day. Yeah. What made you do that? First year of touring. (laughs) What, What made you guys do that, and how could you possibly even survive that?
2: Honestly, those first few tours that we booked ourselves, we're done strictly through like email and message boards yeah just with kids who booked shows in their backyards and stuff so these kids were ravenous (laughs) it was like we'd go play someone's barn and like (laughs) we'd finish the set and we only had so many songs at the time you you know this is like reset era Mm. this pre-reset this is just like our demo that later became quote unquote reset yeah you know when we were on straight on and so they'd be like oh you played all the songs just play them again and we're like all right fuck it we're gonna play them again but you guys are gonna sing them and we just hand the mic to the crowd and like that's sick Just play the set twice and even even playing it twice the set was only like probably 20 minutes you know 30 minutes yeah so not very long
1: i can't remember what happened with fireworks you know that fireworks story that's really funny where they had to play like a college campus and they were supposed to play for like an hour but they didn't have enough of like material to play <laughs> No, <laughs> it's like a super funny story i'd have to like remember to but like yeah, it was, like, a certain guarantee that they had that if they didn't meet it, like, they, they were going to get screwed, basically. I don't know. Did, I'd have to ask them about it. Did
2: you interview Kyle as well, or just Brett? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, Kyle, okay. Kyle too, yeah.
2: Did they tell you the story about getting arrested with us?
1: Yeah, raspberry cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 of course.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a, Yeah, I
1: want to hear your version of this. That's a good one. Uh,
2: <laughs> and baloney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> basically, we uh, we had played the show in Augusta, Georgia, and we had a day off. And we we had to drive to like New York the next day or somewhere crazy. Yeah. I um, see. I think we had one show before New York, but um, we played this mall and we walked by the smoothie stand called Raspberry Cool. And the kids <laughs> recognized us from the show. Yeah. And they hooked up the whole tour with smoothies and it was amazing. <laughs> and we started just chanting Raspberry Cool yeah. in celebration. <laughs> and these two guys ran over and they're like, you guys need to leave the mall right now. Blah, blah, blah. You're creating a disturbance. You know, we're like in the middle of food court. <laughs> And um, we're like, what? Like, we were kind of just mocking them because we thought they were mall security and not taking them seriously. Yeah. And uh, they're like, no, you need to leave now or you're going to get arrested. So we formed like a conga line. We started like <laughs> marching down the stairs. And the next thing we knew, they were like cuffing people. Yeah. We're like, oh, shit, these are sheriffs. <laughs> and uh, it, it got like, it went from fun to like not fun really fast. Really fast. And uh, the whole the whole food court is watching this all kind of unfold <laughs> you know tim the drummer of fireworks at the time is like yeah resisting arrest you know they're like choking him basically and we're all like yelling at them <laughs> stop choking him and uh <laughs> and like i slipped out of my cuffs just to be like an asshole because i have like tiny little like wrists yeah. like throw them back I'm like here you go <laughs> like and then like baloney like <laughs> like in the song like baloney somehow got away even though he was the one that it That set the whole thing off. Like they cuffed him first or something. Was he the loudest? I don't know. No, he's never the loudest. (laughs) (laughs) He somehow got away and uh they opened one of those like have you seen those doors and malls that like blend into the wall? They're like painted to look like the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Opened one of those into this hallway and shoved us all down it.
1: Oh my god. And then things
2: got dark. Like it was like this little man complex kind of guy. Yeah. It's like Napoleon complex officer. And he's like, All right, line up against the wall. We're like (laughs) and and he's like he didn't have cuffs he didn't really have a game plan yeah and i realize now you know we we found out later he was stalling for time until the squad car got there yeah he's like line up against the wall he's like put your hands behind your back put your hands on your head (laughs) and then we do that and we're like kind of yelling at this guy we're like dude what the fuck are you guys doing like what is the problem we were leaving (laughs) just like all kind of screaming at this guy he's like shut up be quiet get against the wall and he like <laughs> hit me in the stomach with his baton what and then everyone kind of like the tempers kind of flared And yeah. we all surrounded this guy and kind of looked at each other and there was like a moment we're like should we fuck up this cop right now <laughs> right? Like, we easily could have you know <laughs> like he was not a big dude and some of us you know like justin k was there he's like fucking seven feet tall like yeah. i don't know like we there was like five of us probably and uh right as things are really getting tense, the other side of the hallway opens and there's a squad car pulled up onto the sidewalk and they're like, get down here. Yeah. And, um, they shuffled us down there and processed us, (laughs) brought us to the jailhouse. And no, we were in a holding cell for like six, seven hours, maybe eight hours. And, uh, you know, we made some phone calls and tried to figure out what we should do. And, um, I carved, Set your goals and fireworks were here, like you know, two thousand seven or whatever year it was, into the side oh of the my wall. Oh god, dude! We were in there with a couple other dudes, and these two guys that were in there were like, "Oh man, what'd you guys get get busted for?" And we told them, and they were like, "Oh yeah, same with us. We were just sitting in my car listening to music at the mall, and they just arrested us for same thing, public disturbance or whatever." That's and, insane, um, dude. I guess in that town they just have a quota, and it's just like. A, a nice little racket for them. Cause it was like, I think 275 or 350 a person to, to pay to get out of, mm-hmm. of jail that day. Was that Georgia? <laughs> Augusta, Georgia. Okay. Yeah. And you know, we never got released into gen pop. We were like an hour or two from that happening. Yeah. And then we, we got released and uh, we spent all of our money from the day before that we had made <laughs> at the show. And then since we had to miss the next show because we had been in jail all night, uh, we had to just with no sleep drive through the night To new york for the next show yeah it just sucked dude it was such a bummer
1: did you all get mug (laughs)
2: shots uh we did and they were they were like on a website for a little while but uh i don't know where they are now. Or damn i I know i wish i had saved them they were fun i was like smiling in mine because of course such a ridiculous situation (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. oh
1: man so who all was there was you was kyle there
2: kyle was there i don't know if he got arrested it's hard my memory i don't think he did i think he said he didn't yeah i think it was me I want to say maybe junior Justin Kay, who was like either playing you know filling in for fireworks or yeah. tour managing us, I think still filling in for fireworks at yeah. that time, he later became our tour manager,
1: not not Brett or Dave
2: uh, maybe Brett, <laughs> definitely not Dave. I think moyon was in there, Tim, yeah, probably Tim. That's so funny. it was just hilarious that's insane <laughs> made for a good story,
1: yeah, no, it's great, um. So what was like the tour with Snoop, Snoop Dogg? Like,
2: Oh, uh,
1: I know you said you're straight edge, re straight edge. Then
2: (laughs) I was strangely enough. That's hilarious. All of his crew was pretty much straight edge, at least all the ones that knew each other. Really? So this girl, Tara who actually booked the first set your goal show in either Pennsylvania or New Jersey ever, uh, was his tour manager for a while. She's vegan straight edge. Okay. And, uh, and then Paul who had tour managed Throwdown which is how I knew him and and played in a band that we had played with. Like we did a tour with Ignite and Blacklisted in 2006. Oh yeah. And we played a show with this other band called Ignite the Will. And he had played in that band at the time. So I think maybe that was when we officially first met. Hard to remember now. Anyway, Paul was kind of like a production coordinator. So like kind of second in command uh, on the tour party. He was also vegan straight edge. Uh, Tara got fired. And then Paul took her spot and then Paul called me and was like, yo, do you want my old job? Yeah. And I was working at Stitch Fix at the time and they were not offering me any sort of like, uh, you know, cool stock options or anything like that. So I had nothing tethering me there. I was in San Francisco and um, <clears throat> he's like, yeah, it's, you know, it was triple the pay that I was getting at the time. It's like, fuck yeah, I'll put in my two weeks tomorrow. Absolutely. So I did. And uh, yeah, my first tour, I think, was in Europe. I landed in Switzerland and got to meet the whole crew. And so it was like a mix of like kind of Paul and his friends that he had hired throughout the time that I worked for, for Snoop. And then Snoop's kind of side, which would be like his family and friends that he had known forever and paid way too much money to do their jobs. And they were mostly unprofessional and... I bet. Uh, yeah. It was it was like a traveling circus, just partying uh, constantly, just, pri- just wild. Yeah, just you can't imagine. Is he cool though? He's awesome. Yeah. Um, and his security guard. He had two security guards. He had one. Uh, this guy Keys, and I think he had worked with like Lady Gaga or something. He was super professional, largest human I've ever met. Yeah, I think he's like 400 pounds or something. Humongous guy. Uh, super nice. The coolest dude ever. Uh, he was like everyone knew he was kind of like. Running the show as far as security went, yeah, but then Snoop had this other security guard named Papa, and he was the opposite of the keys he was like just a really just like from the hood grew up with Snoop. I think the deal really was that he did a drive by or something for Snoop shot up someone's house or something so he's the real deal and he did time yeah, so that Snoop didn't catch a case wow um and he, you know, he went to prison for a while. I don't know how long, but when he got out, he quote unquote started a label Yeah. and Snoop gave him a million dollars to do that with Wow. that never materialized. Uh, and then Snoop kind of just gave him a gig for life, like just bringing him on tour to do security. And then he would hire these like, like teenage thugs to come <laughs> out with us. And they were, they all, they just kind of stayed out of each other's ways. Like yeah. Papa and Keys. Uh, but it was just kind of like Papa and his crew were kind of like a headache for the rest of us, and uh keys was like the guy we would go to when we actually needed an answer on anything right um so yeah that, that was uh that was an experience,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember hearing you said you were like kind of bummed because you weren't playing the shows,
2: yeah, yeah, of uh, felt weird you know it is as much as uh that was a cool job like that's that's all I thought about every night, like on right. the side of the stage, I was like, man. I would still rather be playing and set your goals. I would still rather be out there playing to the crowd myself than working for like one of the biggest artists in the world, you know, yeah. just because it's just so different. There's mm-hmm. nothing like it. Mm-hmm.
1: So I was telling you earlier, one day I went to Goodwill a couple of years ago and found four set your goals shirts at once. And this is one of them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty, pretty wild. Um, but yeah, it's kind of weird to see like old, old band merch out in the wild nowadays. Mm-hmm. But uh, So touring with Saves the Day must have been one of the highlights for sure. What were they like to hit the road with?
2: That was one of my favorite tours ever. Um, They were amazing. Uh, Chris was just so funny. He's just so unique. His personality. Um, I never had a dull conversation with that dude. Mm -hmm. And I I love their music. I grew up on it. Um, So it was really cool seeing all that stuff. And halfway through that tour... Uh, it was us and them and Metro station. It was as Metro station was blowing up. So like this this humongous, I think they paid to be on the tour. Wow. Because they had just tons of label money or whatever, but these huge like crowds of little girls would show up to the shows and then leave after Metro station. Yeah. And, uh, their merch guy, Chris V was like just the coolest dude ever. Mm -hmm. He, um, he did merch for a bunch of other Warp Tour bands and stuff, but we would just basically hang out with him all the time. And uh, he was really into weed. And I think it was when Jordan was smoking a lot of weed. So yeah. he, Chris, and Jordan would just smoke together. And it was a really fun tour. And halfway through the tour, us and Chris V would just buy Saves the Day Shots and try to get them to play the songs we wanted. Yeah. Because uh, they were doing this request thing halfway through the tour, which they just decided to do one day. Like, oh, fuck it. We, you know, we, we rehearsed like... I forgot what it was like 48 songs before the tour. Like they learned an wow. insane amount of their catalog before the tour. So they could just pull whatever out and play it. So yeah, we, we were just doing that. And on the last night of the tour, we got them so drunk that like Manny and Daraja who were, who were playing in the, the band at the time who yeah. were also in Glassjaw, um, Manny, like, had to, like, lay down on the stage to finish the set. <laughs> really? See, it's just plastered. And I think after the set, either him or Geraja was, like, puking outside. We're like, uh, we really did it this time. Were but they pissed at you guys? <laughs> yes and no. Yeah. I think they were just kind of frustrated with the situation. I, I don't think, as is the case with a lot of kind of really creative songwriters, um, right. it's not probably not an easy task to be in a band with Chris. So I think they were more frustrated with that dynamic yeah. than... With us getting them drunk.
1: Yeah, no, for sure.
2: Because they ended up quitting shortly after. But yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was a great tour.
1: They're absolutely one of the goats, though, for sure. Absolutely.
2: I, I agree. Um, if you can consider them pop punk, that's absolutely, yeah. top three for me, for sure.
1: Definitely. Um, and I know we already talked about a fun fireworks story, but do you have any other funny stories of like touring with those guys?
2: <laughs> I heard one last night from my buddy Matt Stosky, who grew up with them. Um, he lives here in L.A. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of messed up but like I guess they they were on the freeway and I had if I had heard it before I forgot it. But yeah, yeah. They were on the freeway and they were like yelling at this van full of bros <laughs> on tour and uh kind of talking shit to each other and swerving near each other, you know, like yeah. I don't know if they were throwing stuff at each other, but uh they were going and then all of a sudden the car full of bros wasn't looking at the road. And at the last minute they were like oh fuck and they flew off the road had a turn and they just flew straight and no just way. went down the side of the hill and fireworks has no idea whatever happened to them after holy that. shit! yeah pretty wild
1: how long ago was, that must have been a long time ago yeah probably fuck that's crazy 10 years ago now wow my friend once booked them in an attic in buffalo and it got shut down by the cops
2: Oh, really? Yeah. For what? Just because it's too I, rowdy?
1: I think it was too loud or something. Yeah, or just illegal, however they, they put it on. I don't know. I believe it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I saw you guys play at the AP Tour Fall Ball in 2009 at the Tom Ballroom in Buffalo. I think that was the last time I saw you guys. We were talking about that a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. You guys didn't seem to play Buffalo too much, did you?
2: No, it was kind of... Uh, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like one of the hottest cities for us. Wow. Kind of always a little bit dead. Yeah. Uh, It wasn't the worst, but um, yeah, I think the good shows there, or at least the great ones were few and far between. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's just because there's not a big pop punk scene there or what, but there definitely was in the
1: 2010s. There was for sure.
2: Yeah. I think that's right around the time we were kind of winding down. Right. Yeah. we, We weren't touring as much.
1: Maybe it wasn't picking up steam in that area yet. Right. It's hard to say. Um, but you got to play shows with the legendary Gorilla Biscuits, you know, being a major fan of them yourself. This mm-hmm. must have been another cool highlight of your overall career. What was that like?
2: They're my favorite hardcore band. That yeah. Was life goals.
1: Stupefied. <laughs>
2: Just check off the bucket list, you right. know, super cool dudes. Every show is incredible. It was a great time.
1: <laughs> do you have any specific vocal remedies before you hit the stage?
2: Yeah, I do. I do scales. I warm up. I want to make sure I can kind of like hit all the notes. I go up and then I go down. Yeah. And then for whatever reason I have to pee before I play every single set.
1: Really? Just nerves? I,
2: I don't know what it is. Yeah. My body just tells me I gotta go. <laughs> but you feel good you
1: feel good after that?
2: <laughs> then I'm like then I'm copacetic, yeah. yeah like Level out. out. Yeah.
1: That's cool. How many times have you and Jordan totally wiped each other out on stage just by not knocking into each other? <laughs>
2: Jordan is the most clumsy dude alive. Clutch. So many times he wipes himself out more than he wipes, <laughs> I I'm pretty like I think I'm pretty aware of my surroundings on stage, so yeah. Hasn't happened too many times, but he's knocked over every single member of our band at least once or twice.
1: Have any of you guys fallen off
2: stage? And we've had a lot of member changes, like every member that's ever even played in our band. Yeah. Uh, we fallen off stage. (laughs) I think I've probably done it once or twice, but I've definitely seen Jordan do it several times.
1: That's amazing.
2: Or roll his ankle on a water bottle. You know, like
1: really? Yeah. I saw that a few times. Like a plastic
2: little plastic one. He's big on water. He was just always drinking water. Um, so. It, there was just always water bottles everywhere. You yeah. just take a sip and put it down wherever it was. And it was like no thought of like stepping on it later. So, you know, right. spatial awareness. <laughs>
1: you guys had any like notable van accidents yourself or any close calls?
2: Yes. Um, we were in Idaho. I don't remember what tour we were on, maybe Anti Flag. Um, but yeah, we hit black ice and we spun three times and then hit the guardrail mm. in, in, I think, the center of the freeway and bent the frame to our van holy shit and we stepped one foot out of the van it was like three or four in the morning yeah it was right before dave who was playing guitar for us at the time had just he was driving and he had just said relax dude i'm because i was like dude you should slow down yeah it's a lot of ice out he goes relax dude i'm not gonna get us into a crash or anything and then like 10 minutes later boom we get into a crash yeah but we we took one step out and it was freezing and uh they were just big rigs the only thing out at the time on the road was big rigs they were just zooming by yeah i took one step out and slipped and just ate shit and i was like okay we're not walking around yeah that let's sucks. just let's just drive off to the next exit so we did got it fixed um it took like a week or two we were just stranded in idaho and um they had a movie theater there it was like kellogg idaho i think <laughs> this one mormon dude like owned the whole town you yeah a like, car dealership like everything <laughs> he had died mysteriously in a scuba accident in like bermuda or something yeah super weird super sketch honestly that is weird. uh foul play written all over it but uh yeah he had owned like half the town or something and uh so it was just like a weird place to be but um we met tim from the band souvenirs out there oh yeah long before souvenirs was a band he just was living there at the time because i think he had to go back and live with a family member because he was like a bad kid or something yeah. <laughs> you know like he had gotten in trouble or something scooby no <laughs> sorry <laughs> edit that out in post you know
1: yeah yeah yeah. Um, <laughs> i didn't realize he was doing that until now
2: but uh no yeah he had um he was out there with like I think his girlfriend at the time and we went to the only movie theater in town and saw the movie Norbit. Oh yeah. Eddie Murphy movie where yeah. he plays like all the characters. He was
1: like super obese. Yeah. yeah. We
2: saw it twice just out of boredom. There's nothing else to do. Oh. And uh, yeah, that, that's all I remember. That and going to like the ski resort to go hot tubbing. <laughs> that's <laughs> sick. But yeah, we we had like a week or two to kill there. But yeah, I, that was a gnarly accident.
1: All I know about Idaho is the, the potatoes, right? Is that like their big yeah. claim to fame, Mormons, I guess? Lots of Mormons. Yeah. Same with Utah. Yes. A lot, a lot of Mormons there. Yeah. So now the new band you got going on right now is Near Dark. Is that named after the uh, the movie? Yes, it is. Sick. Are you a horror fan?
2: I am. Okay, yeah. cool. Fuck I'm yeah. not like a movie buff, but uh, I, I do love a good horror movie. And I think that's the sick. 80s horror movies are the best. Yeah.
1: yeah, dude. So actually, Near Dark is actually showing like this week. At, oh, really? At the Tarantino Theater. I swear oh, that's to God. amazing. Yeah. It's be I love that theater. Yeah. Is so that, there, what is it? Beverly Cinema or whatever? Yeah, New Bev. New Bev. Yeah. yeah
2: dude awesome place
1: doing three nights of it it's pretty cool That's yeah cool um so near dark, dark came together as a product of the pandemic which by the way you know is apparently being canceled on may 11th um as a national emergency which is pretty cool i don't know if wow, you knew i that. did not know that yeah i guess joe biden's calling it it's like may 11th over
2: thanks um, biden
1: yeah thanks a lot biden <laughs> 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 um but that ep make our way back is is truly incredible um did it feel like here on one second shit i like lost it did it feel pretty nice to create something slightly different with a new group of guys
2: yeah it was a breath of fresh air especially at a time when i felt like i couldn't do music you know because the pandemic uh yeah that's it's it was a fun thing to get going you know my buddy eric who plays in the band hit me up and was like yo we're doing this like lifetime kind of band yeah and uh we need a singer are you interested i was like yeah send it over and i checked it out and it was cool yeah it's kind of a fun thing where We've been kind of laying low we we played a couple shows and we just put out uh like our our second we put out the demo and then we put out like a second ep yeah and we just uh batched them together for the vinyl that's cool um so yeah we put that out kind of haven't really like pushed it or anything but just like a fun thing to do with friends when we can
1: yeah no for sure you guys got anything coming up on it like anything new
2: not a thing Nothing. planned. Uh, no. All those dudes are in like five other bands. Yeah. So uh, they stay pretty busy, especially Keith. Yeah. So, um, yeah.
1: Any shows in the works? Nope. Nothing? <laughs> Damn.
2: I'm actually, I'm trying to put something together in the Bay Area with, with some friends there. Yeah, do it. That'd yeah. be sick. Yeah, hopefully I can, get. you know, we can get that together and get a name for it and Post some news about that soon.
1: I would come down for that. Sweet. I, I love the EP, dude. I was, I was, I didn't even know it was like a thing. I told you that before. Until like a couple weeks ago, I found out um, that you know that you did that, and I was listening to it on a hike, and I played it like four or five times just on his hike. Yeah, great hiking EP. Oh, thanks, man. Good. <laughs> yeah, it's, good it's to fucking know. sick.
2: Yeah, we actually uh, have been talking to the dudes in Grayed Out. Yeah, uh, about maybe doing like a, a, a short run.
1: That'd be sick.
2: Yeah. So hopefully we can get that together,
1: dude. That'd be a great pairing.
2: Yeah, we talked about it a few months ago, and then it just sort of chiseled out but yeah. uh yeah that reminds me to maybe <laughs> follow up
1: yeah and we need to get them out there too i feel like like that's such a good band
2: yeah we also talked about doing like a split together so yeah you know hopefully something comes with that
1: that'd be sick yeah dude they're fucking phenomenal i don't understand how like they're not they're not huge yet yeah they're you cool. know so good shout
2: out this time next year yeah dude for sure <laughs> shout out resent
1: <laughs> yeah shout out to Resent, definitely
2: i feel the summer
1: So here's my little speed round at the end here. Reach the end. Okay. So the speed round this is just a bunch of bullshit questions, and you just kind of go for it. So what's the silliest job you ever had?
2: God, so many. I've had more jobs than I can count. <laughs> um, damn. I, silliest job i ever had. I worked for this place called Celebrity Prime Foods. It was like a... <laughs> it was like basically telemarketing. Okay. It's not cold calling, but like the, the leads on the list were like ranked. Yeah. So you would start with like just dog shit leads. Like really people who had no idea they had even signed up and they would be like, why are you calling me? You know, and you're trying to like sell them frozen foods. It's like <laughs> swans frozen foods or whatever. It's like a subsidiary of that company. Yeah. I guy, I'll never forget. I ended up getting fired cause I just didn't hit the quotas. Yeah. It was all commission based. Uh, the guy who was like the VIP for like I think the whole region or maybe the United States was in my particular office. Yeah. And his name was Rick, I think. And <laughs> his voice sounded like it was like he was trolling you. Like he it sounded like a parody of, I don't know, like a talk show host or oh, something. Yeah. He would go, Hello there. This is Rick from Celebrity Prime Foods. How <laughs> you doing today? Was wondering if you'd be interested in our new two steak special. Like just Farm raised beef. Like just so weird. And he just killed it. And I was like, who takes this guy seriously? But
1: I'd hang up so quick. They yeah. were
2: like flying him on vacations to Hawaii, all expenses paid. Like he was wow. getting every bonus you could hit.
1: That's wild.
2: Generating millions of sales.
1: That's stupid. Weird. Did you ever promote your music Terrible doing job. that?
2: <laughs> Terrible job. Uh, no, that's <laughs> before I was even in a band.
1: Oh, okay. That's fine. It's
2: probably two thousand three or something.
1: Shit. Um, what's your favorite set your goals on? The fallen. Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, I was—I think I told you this earlier. Um, my friend who grew up across the street from me, my friend Charlie, my neighbor, actually had the Fallen as his yearbook quote.
2: Oh, that's awesome. And I
1: tweeted that to you guys like probably 10 or 15 years ago, and you retweeted it. It was awesome.
2: <laughs> he, cool. he was
1: stoked. <laughs> um, grape jelly or strawberry jelly? Strawberry. All right. What's something you got detention for in high school?
2: Um, I think... <laughs> uh I think I got this is messed up. Okay, it's okay. This kid Chris sat behind me and he was kind of a bully. It's like this tall lanky kid. And yeah. he he would stab me with pencils, punch me in the back, kick my chair and stuff. And uh one day I got up and in the middle of the class this is Spanish class. <laughs> this is there's more to this story, but uh <laughs> it's unrelated but uh, I'll get to it after this guy (laughs) was a total dick and I got up one day when he I just wasn't in the mood this day and that's the teacher speaking I get up and I turn around and I just sock him in the face yeah super hard nice and then I turn right back around and go sit down (laughs) and the teacher was like oh (laughs) she was like she didn't say anything at the time. I think she was just shocked. Yeah. What happened. And she had probably seen him bullying me. Yeah. But uh, at the end of class, she was like, you guys are both, you know, it, 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 it was detention, I think, not suspension. Yeah. So like, you guys both have detention today. Wow. Know, For fighting. Yeah. Um, and that, it, I think we got off pretty light, you know. But, yeah. Uh, she
1: apologized over AIM.
2: Yeah, we, we kind of just, like, had to sit and do, like, extra work after after class together. And the teacher wasn't even there. It was really weird. It's like, wow, you're you're not even going to supervise the kids who were just fighting? Right, yeah. And she's like, all right, you know, you got to stay till like, 4.30 or whatever. Yeah. And then so we did that. And then uh, we kind of, like, were just cool after that. That's cool. Yeah, he stopped fucking with me.
1: That's usually all it takes is just, like, alone time. Yeah, cold you know?
2: one to the jaw, you know?
1: Right. <laughs> whatever. Is the uh, is that the werewolf mask from All I Have to Offer?s uh, You know the fireworks record and Summer Jam.
2: Oh, I believe it is.
1: Is it? Yeah, I was wondering. Um, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen?
2: Uh, at the time when I was a kid, it was probably Candyman. Okay. The original Candyman scared the shit out of me. I like didn't sleep that night. after I had seen it? Yeah. My mom stupidly let us watch it, and my brother's two and a half years younger than me. Yeah. And he was like crying. had to turn the movie off because he was crying yeah i mean it's pretty fucked up for like you know nine-year-old kid to watch definitely yeah i I don't remember what age we were but probably around there but like i was i was shook and i i was not afraid of any horror movies as a kid like i was like good yeah i could watch all of them um but yeah that but i think more psychologically terrifying i would say the shining that's my favorite horror movie of
1: course yeah perfect movie yeah i agree out of all the lyrics you've written is there regardless
2: one- of what Stephen King will tell you
1: dude he's a dick
2: <laughs> i can't believe he doesn't like it he's a bitch
1: dude that is that he's a bitch <laughs> fuck you stephen king
2: fuck you stephen king he honestly sucked. stephen king rules but like yeah. super bullet wh- i love that movie that's a good one but yeah. uh yeah i don't know i don't know what his beef is what a whack point his this version is. sucked right and uh have you watched room 237 the doc about it
1: uh no i want to dude
2: check it out it's super fast
1: yeah did you like uh what's the other one doctor sleep
2: uh, that newer one I did not like that
1: yeah it was like whatever I
2: tried watching I think three times and every time I fell asleep yeah it wasn't so great. I couldn't do it yeah. yeah
1: and there's that that TV version adaptation which Stephen King likes and he praises that one and no one likes that one it's
2: weird he, he can write the coolest stories but then his taste is just garbage yeah, he sucks
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, out of all the lyrics you've written is there one line that you wrote that you're most proud of Um. Or like something you had like I a I put holy so fuck much moment. thought
2: and care into like my lyrics. Yeah. Honestly, it's so intensely personal for me that like it would be hard to pick just one. Mm-hmm. I know it's like a cliche answer, but it's the truth. <laughs> totally. Uh, I, I do like may I, ne- may I Never Lose My Youth. All of this is too unforgettable. I do like that one, but it's probably not my favorite. Um yeah. It, it's That's a good one. It's hard to say on the spot.
1: That's a good one. The Fallen Hits. <laughs> um, what's your all time favorite video game?
2: Man. It's got to be an NES game. Maybe River City Ransom. Okay. Uh, pff, damn, dude, that is really tough. Super Nintendo had some bangers too. I love yeah. River City Ransom. I love Double Dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Bust a Move, which is, I guess, not even Super Nintendo. Was that Neo Geo or something? Yeah. <laughs> um, Mega Man Soccer was great. Whoops, and Super Dodgeball. Was another really good one, which was like the same teams, basically Tecmo or whatever that company was. Yeah. That did, uh, or was it Konami? I don't know. They did, they did Double Dragon. They did Super Dodgeball and they did River City Ransom. Like, okay. It's probably a three-way tie between those. Yeah. But, uh, honorable mention goes to the first Zelda game for Super Nintendo. Okay. That game was incredible.
1: See, I, I missed the boat on Super Nintendo. I'm a little too young, I guess. Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> I, I, well, I got into like Nintendo 64 first. And then, like, gotcha. PS2 and all that. like some,
2: some solid hitters on there, too. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, for sure. Mario Party is, like, my favorite game ever. Yeah, I fucking good. love that game.
2: That's a Hall of Famer right there. It's,
1: it's great. You, like, fucking ruin your palm every time you play it. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts so much. It gives me, like, carpal tunnel.
2: I recently, uh I mean, I, I haven't played video games in forever, but I recently right. kind of got back into some of them. I, I got that, like... Nintendo and an SNES like subscription for Switch. Oh, cool! I, like, hooked that up to my TV, so I've been playing the old school games. Yeah, but uh, Duck Game on PlayStation. Yeah, you can, like it's like one of the PlayStation Online ones you can download. You're it's basically like Mario Party, um, or not Mario Party Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, yeah. Um, where you can just kind of like you pick up weapons and just kill each other, uh, and it looks like an old school 16-bit game. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, I've been. Playing that with friends is a lot of fun.
1: Another one of my favorites is uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3.
2: Oh, dude, yeah. Because that,
1: that soundtrack turned me on to so many bands. D-
2: that was the case for so many people. Was, what a great soundtrack. Yeah, it's so yeah. good.
1: Uh, what's the last item you threw at someone? <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, man. Probably one of my dog's toys. Okay. Like at one of my friends. <laughs> okay. Uh, she just got this little like stuffed like it looks like a sausage link. Yeah. Uh that she tore apart in like literally eight hours. But uh yeah, I think I threw that at my friend at my friend Manuel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what kind of dog do you have?
2: She's like uh she's like a husky pit bull mix. Oh cool. She's got like the ice blue eyes. Oh yeah. So love I, that. I tell people she's also a white walker mix.
1: <laughs> yeah. Is she a badass?
2: <laughs> nah, not really. No, she's not really. like she's like totally scared of everything. She was abused, so she was a rescue. Oh okay. So uh but she looks like a badass. She looks terrifying. That's perfect. And she's a lot of fun. And uh when anyone comes to the house, she barks like crazy. So yeah, she she's uh she's yeah. giving badass, but yeah. she's actually, you know, once you're in the house, she just kind of like licks your hand. Is she pretty big? <laughs> she's 60 pounds. It's oh, okay, like hell yeah. Medium to, yeah. to large.
1: Yeah, for sure. What's the what's the best skateboarding trick you can do?
2: Uh man, at at one point I could do I could Ollie like seven stairs. Wow. Down. No, I could jump seven stairs, not all of them. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably probably that or uh, like a pop shove it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Sick. Uh, have you ever gotten annihilated in a mosh pit?
2: Um, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> plenty of times. I, uh, I think I was like moshing to poison the well or something in like the early 2000s and this dude fell on me and my hand went towards my arm like it bent the wrong way oh. and it, like fractured my wrist oh. uh and then another time when we were on tour one of our early tours with the warriors and uh in turmoil i was like moshing the turmoil and my friend pepe uh swung back and hit me in the nose and my nose just started gotcha. gushing blood like a faucet and i broke my nose wow I had to get a was it septoplasty later? Oh. Once I had insurance at my next job. <laughs> That'd take a long time to heal. Yeah. Fuck.
1: I still have never had a bloody nose in my life.
2: Yeah, I haven't broken many bones other than those. Yeah. The only other bone of bones I've broken have been also mosh related. Yeah. Someone stepped on my foot with boots, broke my toe. Fuck. And then uh I staged over for American Nightmare and <sighs> broke a rib. That was painful. Well, that was worth it. That's the worst because yeah. I don't think it was. <laughs> Just kidding. Those are the worst because you have to wait for it to heal. Like you, they, they totally. can't really do anything. Yeah, like, gotta You chill. try to breathe in and it hurts so bad. Uh, you can't take a full breath. <laughs> At
1: least it was for American Nightmare. Yeah. Not like Emperor Levine or something. Right. Um Have you ever gotten hurt by while performing?
2: Um, yeah, but nothing major.
1: Nothing major. Yeah. And what is the best restaurant in the Bay Area?
2: Damn. Um it's hard to say because I was vegan for like 8 years yeah. and uh I was so like in that mindset right. and now I'm not vegan anymore. I'm pescatarian now. And uh Is that just fish? Yeah. Okay. So man, really put me on the spot here. <laughs> I know this is supposed to be a rapid fire question, but it it's might okay. take some thought.
1: Is that place from Mrs. Doubtfire good, Bridges? I always wondered.
2: It is good. Dude, have you heard about me talking talk about that in, uh, no or have you heard me talk about that in other interviews no i swear to god i met him on the set of that movie at that restaurant what yeah my my dad was dating this woman cynthia at the time and she did like uh grips or something on that movie no and, way uh, yeah i got to meet him and he was like in drag and everything And he's like oh nice to meet you like it must be kind of scary meeting me like looking like this what the
1: hell how old were you then
2: i don't know 10 fuck yeah uh that was cool
1: Wow, what was that? Ninety two, and we came out ninety three. Yeah, that,
2: that so. sounds right. Yeah, so I was like nine. Damn. Yeah, yeah. that's wild. Now, so. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right, what's what's the best pop punk record?
2: I have eaten at Bridges though; it's good. Sorry, it, sorry to good. go back good? That that's okay. Yeah, yeah, Bridges is decent. Um, sorry to give you an answer on the best restaurant. I love Golden Lotus for vegan food. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of vegans out there would probably pick another place as their favorite. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, as far as like not vegan stuff, yeah, I'd have to get back to you. I love Sushi Zone yeah. in San Francisco. It's, uh, it's like legit sushi. It's like stepping into a sushi bar in Japan. Yeah. It's super good.
1: Sorry, that's blowing my fucking mind. You were there for Mrs. Doubtfire. Absolutely. So, like, literally. And
2: my friend Lauren's family owned the Mrs. Doubtfire house. Really? Yeah.
1: Dude, I go, I literally visit that every time I'm there.
2: Bay Area, dude. It's sick yeah it's like everyone knows it there's like two degrees of separation between everyone in the Area. i feel like
1: that's crazy yeah what's the best pop punk record
2: oh man um just saves the day count yeah i mean through being cool probably through being cool okay that's probably my favorite not a bad man at first one can't slow down has some sentimental value for sure
1: right i like in reverie too
2: i love it weird shift but i hated it when it came out and it grew on me and you know all it took was seeing them play live yeah now i love that record there's something else
1: yeah we got a couple more let's see grossest grossest thing you've ever ate
2: um i ate bugs in thailand
1: (laughs) (laughs) and now you're posting them like every day
2: question yeah i've always been (laughs) obsessed with bugs but uh Yeah, questionable vegan choice, but I'm like, yeah, these are are like little robots. (laughs) Uh, They were good. They tasted like popcorn with soy sauce. Really? Yeah, that was probably the grossest thing I ever ate. The grossest thing I've watched my bandmates eat was balut or whatever it's called, the fermented duck egg that they have in the Philippines. It smelled like sewage. It was disgusting. Did they say it was good? No.
1: No, okay. (laughs) That's disgusting.
2: But they did it, so, uh, you know. Kudos. Were, were,
1: the, were the bugs you ate live or dead? Dead. Okay, so they seasoned them. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting.
2: there's like salty soy sauce popcorn. Fuck. Okay. But, but you get like the legs caught in your teeth. I <laughs> see, so like
1: plucking out the legs. Yeah,
2: Thailand, something else. Yo, <laughs>
1: uh, what's your favorite movie?
2: Um, The Shining. Like I said, is my favorite horror movie. Yeah. Favorite movie, movie? For a long time as a kid, it was Edward Scissorhands. Okay. Uh, I don't think it is now. Yeah. Um, I love The Big Lebowski. That's great. Uh, Yeah. I don't really have a favorite, though.
1: Yeah. What's your most awkward fan interaction?
2: I've had favorites of everything, really. Uh, (laughs) Most, God, I could not tell you. Probably this girl who would come out to our Connecticut shows. Oh. Um, (laughs) There were these two girls. This is mean, because I feel like they're, if they're listening, they're going to be She'll never bombed. hear this. Yeah, hopefully. Um, they would come out to our shows. They were really sweet kids, but they would come out to our shows and bring us like snacks and candy and stuff. Cool. And uh, one of the times they did it, they asked for our signatures for me and Jordan. Yeah. And the next time we came back, they had them tattooed on them. And then the next time after that, and every time they would bring <laughs> more snacks. So like, next time they came back, when they got the tattoos or they showed us the tattoos, um, they had like a grocery bag full of snacks. And then the next time after that, when we came through, they brought us like four grocery bags of snacks and drinks and all this stuff. And they had framed photos of the tattoos that they gave to us. We're like, what are you supposed to do with these? Yeah. So that was a little weird, but they were nice. They were super nice. They spent hundreds of dollars on snacks and merch every time they came.
1: Just excessively nice. So yeah, we appreciated it. I feel that. Um, Guilty pleasure band or artist?
2: E-Town Concrete. Oh, I fucking yeah. love them. It's Dude,
1: they like, just played, they played the Bay, right? Was that the Bay? It was Bay and yeah, Long, Long Beach.
2: That show was a disaster.
1: Really? I was supposed yeah. to go to that. The promoter
2: had a heart attack. Oh, fuck. They were like, every hardcore crew was there. Like, yeah. There were people getting stabbed. The show got shut down by the <laughs> cops right before E-Town. Wow. So the, the venue refused to play or like to turn on the PA, yeah. So they just did it without a PA. They played like four or five songs, and the crowd just sang it. Wow, which sounds really lame, but it was pretty fun.
1: Yeah, I know for sure. But they're
2: one of my favorite bands.
1: Yeah, no, and I remember the world was supposed to play that Maddie from Lost for Words. and mm-hmm. they, they dropped. I off. like that band a lot. They're really good. Yeah,
2: yeah. cool. Um, yeah, fun fact: Anthony Martini, the singer, um, yeah, managed us for a short period of time. Oh, really? Managed at your rules. That's so yeah. sick.
1: <laughs> um, so who's your who's your biggest regret or what what's your biggest regret? Not who.
2: What's my biggest regret? <laughs> yeah. In life. Yeah. Um.
1: Such a bummer of a question.
2: Not going to college. No, just kidding. Or not finishing college. Right. No, fuck college. Fuck college. <laughs> uh. Absolutely. Probably. Probably just like. Not. Like sticking up for myself more when it came to like certain band decisions we made that could have enabled us to like do things that we wanted to do yeah and just kind of accepting like this is just the way things are oh well you know like um just because like i said before we we kind of had like a curse in a lot of ways and uh and that was like i don't know that was like something that followed us the whole career of our band um so you know just not taking the chances that we should have taken because we were listening to our management or our label or something mm-hmm. like that stuff like that probably or what? or not asking uh <laughs> or not asking the girl i had a crush on in high school to to go out with me you know when i was younger because yeah. now she's married with kids <laughs> oh bummer <laughs> <laughs> and i'm single
1: oh yeah well that's cool yeah what are you most proud of
2: Honestly, set your goals, you know, like I don't mm-hmm. have a lot of regrets. That's why it was hard to kind of answer that question. Yeah, for you sure. Know, after a certain point in my life, I made a firm decision to take those chances, yeah. you know, when they come and not let opportunity pass me by. Yeah. You know, when we first started touring, it was like college will be there when when we get back and this opportunity won't. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm really proud of everything we've accomplished, but I don't want it to be like, you know, it's definitely not the end of my story. I'd, I'd like to do you know, other, other big, you know, I'd like to cross other milestones and, and other achievements in my life that I'm proud of as much as, or, you know, hopefully more than set your goals, you know, and I'd like to do it in music as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I still always want to make music and, and, uh, have that be a, a part of my life. Cause it's a huge part of my life.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Is there anything else you're working on right now or working just towards? The, just
2: that band I'm trying to put together in the Bay. Nice. Um, but yeah.
1: That'd be cool. So where can your fans find you? What are your uh, social media handles?
2: Uh, I try to make it easy. It's Matt Wilson rules on everything. Okay, cool. Um, but uh, yeah, we are, I mean, Near Dark is uh, is one of the projects that's still technically active. Yeah. Although we're not active active at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Near Dark NY is our Instagram. For sure. Um, yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time, man. Set Your Goals has been a staple in my music library since I was a, literally a kid. Um, hoping to see you guys back around sometime soon and can't wait to catch a Near Dark set.
2: Appreciate it, man. Much love. Thank Fuck you. Fuck
1: yeah. All right, cool.
2: Cool. Thank you. That was this was awesome. fun. That was cool. Yeah. How long was that? Oh, shit, I don't it know. It easy. was perfect,
1: I think. Sweet. Okay.
0: We're on our first All tour. Right. We're out in Texas.